You guys can take a seat. Wow, you kids are amazing. Better than I could have done. Dang. Well, hey, good to see you. Merry Christmas, all of you guys. Good to see you. Happy birthday, Jesus, right? Uh, pump for that. Man, my name's, uh, my name's Austin, one of the pastors here. So thankful. What's up, man? Uh, so excited to be with you guys, be able to open up God's Word and study more. Man, I know that Christmas brings uh, a lot of new people. Maybe, uh, maybe you're someone from your family or a friend drug you here, and you're like, why am I here? It gets hot in here. It's crazy. I couldn't even see the kids. You know what I mean? Uh, well, I pray that you leave, and you're like, thank you. You know, you leave and say, thanks for inviting me. Thanks for following me. Thanks for begrudgingly. Even if I was begrudging, I'm, I'm happy. I hope that you feel loved. I hope you feel like Jeremy said, like, this is your family, that you actually belong here, that this isn't a, a religious country club. It's not a place for good moral people. It's a place for broken people that need Jesus. That's why we celebrate him. And so I'm really excited to open up God's word with you all to sing and, uh, and worship and study more about Jesus. Hey, we're going to look uh, at kind of the topic theme through Matthew chapter one of God with us. And what does that mean? So you can open your Bibles if you have them there. Uh, but as you're getting there, let me ask you this. Uh, do, you, do any of you guys have a friend, uh, and, and you'll, I'm pretty sure a lot of us do, that you don't see very often, but once you do, it feels like you never missed a beat? You know what I'm talking about? Like you don't see him a ton, but then you see him, you haven't seen it like six months, you're like, what's up? Like you do your secret handshake and everything just flows back to normal. Well, I have a friend named Spencer like that. And so we went to high school together. He'll always be one of my best friends. And um, we went to different colleges. He works on the railroad now, so we don't see each other very often. Actually lives in Lincoln, goes to our church. I just don't see him a ton. And so uh, anyway, yeah, y'all need to pray for Spencer. No, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) But so anyways... We don't see each other very often, and sometimes we'll text each other, like, hey, bro, how you doing? And it's kind of awkward. It's like, good, you? Like, good. All right, see you later. You know, like, that's like, that's all, or we'll call each other, how you doing? Cool, yeah, catch up. All right, man. Like, we're just not that kind of, like, we just aren't going to, like, text each other all day or call each other. But a couple months ago, Spencer called me and said, hey, Austin, I actually have the day off. Can we hang out? And so he picks me up. We go uh, to eat, and then we go play pickleball. And, uh, and I'm telling you, right when, he picked, right when I got in his truck, it was like we were 18 again. You know, we're laughing. You guys are like, that's only a year ago for you. I know. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> hey, it's almost 10, okay? So I'm getting there. But anyways... Um, uh, but, but it felt like we were 18 again. We were reminiscing about football and sitting on the bench. You know what I mean? It was awesome. And then, uh, and then we were just like, like laughing and enjoying each other and telling stories. Remember this? Remember you know, the climbing Taco John's and all this stuff? And, and like we were daring each other to do these not-so-smart things. Like we, you know, it got crazy. But it was just awesome to be with him. And do you have a friend like that, though, that you just haven't seen for a while? But when you do, it's like nothing. You didn't miss anything. It's like you never missed a beat, and you're just, boom, right back on it. Man, proximity matters, right? Like being with someone actually makes a big difference. There's something special about sitting across from someone and having a meal. There's something remarkable that happens when you get to hug someone. And uh, man, FaceTime is great and convenient, and texting and phone calls are helpful, but nothing can replace actually being with someone, right? Like actually being physically around someone and seeing them and looking at them in church. I want just to tell you, 
the Christmas story pronounces joyfully that God did not settle for awkward text messages and some phone calls. He actually came to be with us. Amen? Came to dwell with us and be with us. I mean, God himself actually came down to bring himself uh, to us and bring us back into relationship with him. That's what we're celebrating. And this is the, one, of, one of the most profound and astounding truths we come across in our Bible. If you want to know a three-word summary, summary of what Christmas means and what it's all about, here it is, God with us. Like, that's what he actually did. And I realized as I was preparing this sermon, I feel like my heart's honesty just became dull to those words. Like, God with us just kind of seems assumed and normal to me. It doesn't, it doesn't have a sparkle to me anymore, and you may feel the same way. And so my goal for this morning, the brief time we have together, is to look back to the beginning of the Bible and see just what it means to see the beauty and the depth of what it means for God to actually say he is with us. Amen? So that's where we're going. Our kids did a phenomenal job reading Matthew 1. But just to recap uh, what was going on, Mary and Joseph uh, are engaged, okay? And uh, Mary is pregnant. She gets pregnant, and Joseph's wondering what happened, you know, because they aren't married and they haven't been together. And so he's wondering, man, were you unfaithful? So he says, hey, I'm just going to leave you quietly, not make a big thing of it. And actually, when he's thinking about this, an angel comes to him and says, hey, Joseph, actually, that was conceived from the Holy Spirit. That baby in her is actually from the Holy Spirit, and his name's going to be Jesus. Oh, and by the way, that baby is going to die and save people from their sin. Okay, so Joseph just gets a whole, like, whoa, what, what's going on? And, uh, and so he does it. He's faithful to stick with Mary and trust God with this word of the angel said. And then verse 23 in Matthew 1 is quoting from Isaiah chapter 7, the Old Testament. It says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So check this out. Hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, it was predicted that a virgin will bear a son, conceive a son, which is crazy to think about, and that baby boy's name will be Emmanuel, and he will be God with us, okay? Hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, that was predicted. So the first thing I want us to see as we're walking through this is that God was with us, okay? God was with us. Now, if you've got your Bible... Uh, flip to Genesis 2. It's really easy to find. It's right in the beginning. Um, first book of the Bible, or uh, you can just follow along and listen in. But let's, uh, this is the first book of the Bible, okay, uh, that, that God gives us. It explains the creation narrative. So God, always existing, decides to create the universe. So he, he does, right, and it just, and it appears, like it's there. He makes it. Sky, sun, moon, stars, animals, everything. He does it all. And so let's pick up in verse 7 through 9. Genesis 2. And then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Uh, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All right. So God decides to create a man. Okay, so what God does is he grabs some dust from the, from the ground, breathes into it, and it becomes a human being, Adam. Okay, that's what happens. And then God decides to make a garden in Eden, and it's beautiful. There's all these trees and tasty fruit and all that. And so let's continue. Genesis 2, we'll go 15 through 25. This will be a longer one, but we'll walk through it. The Lord God took the man, Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. That's key. Every tree of the garden, um, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay? 
Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. So God creates, brings them to the man, Adam uh, named them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, anesthesia, <laughs> in a modern day. Hey, you're under. And then, uh, and then while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed it, uh, its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Okay, so he's got all the animals. God's like, hey, what do you think about this? What do you, no, no, not fit, not fit. And then he brings this woman. And he says, this is at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken a man. He's excited, right? Uh, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay, that's a lot, but that's Genesis 2, creation narrative. God gives Adam this garden to work in. He tells Adam, hey, be fruitful and multiply, Fill the earth and subdue it. You'll rule over it. And hey, the only kind of prohibition is don't eat. You can eat from every tree, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you do eat from that tree, you will die. After that, God notices, man, Adam needs a helper. Like, he, dude is not okay on his own. And so they search out to, um, to find a helper. Um, God brings all these animals in front of Adam. He says, hey, you can name them. And so he does. And then he's looking and saying, none of these work. None of these will be fit. And so finally God says, I'm going to make a woman out of your rib for you. And Adam is ecstatic. And he later names her Eve. So picture this. God and God, or Adam one day wakes up with God breathing into his nostrils and he becomes a living being before he was lifeless dirt on the ground, okay? Like that happens, right? And then God places him in this garden that Adam didn't create or plant or make, and God gives it to Adam. Then he, God makes all these animals and says, hey, I made these, but I actually want to let you name them. Like what a gift that would be, right? Thinking of an invention or a song that you make and say, hey, I actually want you to name it. Like what a privilege and a grace that is. And so God said, I mean, like God and Adam are actually hanging out. God's like, hey, check this out. Boom, here's a peacock. He's like, whoa, that's awesome, you know? He's like, check this out, here's a pig. He's like, that doesn't look as cool as peacock. He's like, watch this, it makes bacon. And Adam's like, yes, you know, he's like, this is awesome. I love creation, you know? Um, and, then, uh, and then God made a cat, and Adam's like, dang it, this is not okay. Yeah, uh, it's true. Um, but um, now, I don't know if they made bacon. I'm pretty sure about the cat. But anyways, God and Adam are together. I mean, they're together like... Like, to get, God is helping Adam. He says, man, I want to commit to give you a helper. So he creates a woman to compliment him. Adam and Eve are together. They have fruit, and they have each other, and they have responsibility in a job, and they're naked and unashamed. I mean, that sounds like a spectacular scenario. Like, what more could you want, right? This is the intention of God in creation, complete and unhindered uh, relationship with his people, Right? to walk with them, to help them, to bless them, to be with them, to give them good work, to be personally involved with them. This is the intention of God in creation, and we get to see the beauty of it in Genesis 2. But then Genesis 3 happens. A serpent comes along, and he starts to twist God's word and what he said to Eve. Man, are you sure? Did God really say that? I mean, you're not going to die. I was just to scare you. No, no. I mean, it's just going to make you more like God. That's why he doesn't want you to do it. And so he twists God's word. He tricks Eve, and she decides to go against what God told them. 
of all the fruit, of all the trees in the entire garden, Eve is deceived and decides to disobey, right? She eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and Adam follows and does the same. And immediately they realize they're naked and they're ashamed, and they make some coverings for themselves. And then they hear God walking through the garden and they hide themselves. Okay, think about this. This is huge. Before Adam and Eve broke God's law, hearing God walk through the garden would have been the most joyful sound, right? I mean, like, like, they're like, God is here. God's with us. God's helping us. God is providing and helping, and he's, he's with us. I mean, like, it would just be such a joyful noise, right? When, my, when the garage door opens, uh, when I'm coming home from work, my daughter jets to the door. Daddy's home and opens it up and looks for me. I, it's my favorite moment of the day, and she's, she's just so excited. And this is what Adam and Eve would do when they would hear God. I mean, just joy. But now something shifted. Something changed, something's different, right? When they hear God walking in the garden, the response is no longer joy, it's fear. It's no longer coming to God, it's hiding from him. No longer do they run to God like a child runs to their parent when they get home from work. For the first time, they hide from God. And God knew what they did, he knew where they were, and there were consequences for it. One of the saddest verses in the Bible is Genesis 3.23. It says, therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden. What was once a perfect, unhindered, pure relationship with God is now fractured because Adam and Eve chose to rebel. And you may think, man, that sounds harsh. All they did was eat some fruit off of a tree. But do you remember what God warned them originally if they did that? That they would die. So actually, God sending them out of the garden rather than killing them is grace, right? That's mercy. And by the way, you're wondering, man, that sounds harsh. This is dust that God breathed into. They don't have a right to disobey him or to think differently. Like God could do anything, and it's mercy for him to say, I'm not going to kill you, but I am going to send you out of the garden. And we can point fingers, right? Adam, Eve, Eve, it was just a fruit, and you had more. What are you thinking? Do you know all the trouble you would have spared if you just didn't listen to him? And we can point fingers, but we're all guilty of the same thing, right? Like we're all guilty of sin. God has given us way more than we need, but the dust that God breathed into is chosen dust over the divine. Sin over true satisfaction, rebellion over relationship with God, our ways over his ways, the serpent's voice over the Savior's voice right? We've all chosen sin. We've all earned getting kicked out of the garden by being disobedient towards God. We can't point fingers because we're guilty of doing the same thing. And so the way that God was with Adam and Eve in the garden was fractured by sin, okay? Uh, It was no longer a perfect, unhindered relationship with God, but in God's abounding mercy and love, he didn't leave them. Okay? Although God wasn't with them in the same way, God did remain with his people. And so I just want to draw out a couple just to show you how God still was with them as we walk through the Old Testament. So he's with them in three primary ways, or three ways I just want to draw out. One, God was with them through prophets. Okay? God was with them through prophets. We got alliteration for peace. It'll be easy. God was with his people through prophets. Okay? Now there's kind of a misconception about the Bible that assumes that it's filled with all these heroes, all these good people all these admirable people that did the right thing always. But friends, the Bible is filled with broken people 
fallen heroes, hopeful heroes that failed, and only one hero, Jesus, to rescue all those people from their sin, okay? So no one's perfect. Everyone has failed. As you walk through the Bible, you see that over and over and over again, but God did not give up on his people. God would actually speak messages to his people through prophets. So he would uh, speak through a dream or audible or whatever. He'd speak to uh, a person, and then they would go relay that message to other people. Sometimes it was a loving warning hey, you need to look where you're going. Like, you're not going to like where this is going to take you. Sometimes it was a, um, a, a, a beautiful promise. Hey, I'm going to do this for you, and I'm going to rescue you, and I'm going to bring you out of this. Sometimes it was that. And so nonetheless, although God's people rebelled, God was with them through prophets. He would send people to remind them that God indeed was with them. The second way, God was with his people through provision. Okay, so as you walk through the Old Testament, you're just like shocked at all of the bad things God's people get themselves into, right? So they end up enslaved in Egypt, the whole entire nation of Israel, God's people, and, and they don't know what to do. God frees them from slavery. It's miraculous and crazy. Then they're wandering in the wilderness, and they start complaining because they're no longer in slavery, but when they were, they had food and drink, and so now that they're not enslaved, they don't have food and drink, so they're mad. You know what I mean? It's like this, and then so God literally, they wake up, and there's bread on the ground, has anyone woke up in their front lawn and saw Wonder Bread spread around? You know, like, wow, that's pretty sweet, you know? Or anyone like, I mean, and then God causes a rock to just spring water out of it. Like, are you walking through the park and like, wow, that's pretty cool. That rock just squirted out some water, you know? Like, crazy. And so God's people actually saw this. Like, they actually woke up and saw bread on the ground that they didn't make and water shoot from a rock that seems impossible. God did that. Although his people got themselves into trouble, God showed, I am with you through providing. I will not let you starve. I will not let you faint away. And the third way God was with his people was through protection, okay? So he was with prophets and provision, and last thing, he was with his people through protection. So same thing, God's people, every turn they make, it's like there's a new enemy that wants to attack them, and God doesn't leave his people to fight on their own because they're weak oftentimes, right? And so he would send a judge. Uh, and, and so this judge isn't like an older person with a robe that has a gavel that says guilty or not guilty. This judge was a warrior that would fight for the people. Like a judge would be strengthened by God to, be, to battle and fight for the people and lead them into victory. And God would do the same thing with kings like David. Hey, I'm going to strengthen this person to lead these people and to protect them. God would do that. Um, he would send protection, judges, kings, and more to show them that he was indeed with them. All right, so those are the ways that God was with his people, just some of them. He was with them more, but just those three, prophets, provision, and protection. And you kind of have to wonder, okay, Austin, if God was with his people through prophets, provision, and protection, then why send Jesus? Why? I mean, wasn't that enough? Wasn't that sufficient? Like, why send Jesus? And why is Jesus' name Emmanuel, God, with us? Well, the answer is Matthew 1, 21 says this, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Friends, in order for our relationship with God to be restored back to how it was in the garden, someone needed to come and save us from our sin. Our sin was what kicked us out of the garden and we need a savior from our sin to bring us back, right? So the second thing I want us to see, the last thing I want us to see is that God is with us. God was with us and now God is with us. Uh, so for those of you who know my wife, Kristen, you know she's incredible, right? She's faithful, loyal, sweet, amazing. For sake of us understanding this better, imagine Kristen decides to leave me, okay? And she goes, and some of y'all are like, that would make sense. Have you seen? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> it's grace. I got her, man. But anyways, uh, 
she just says, hey, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave. And so she goes to a different country. And, and, and I, I'm obviously heartbroken, and I'm, I'm not going to give up on her. And so I, I call every chance I get, and I send emails, and I send text messages, and finally I get a hold of her. And she's reluctant to hear from me. And I tell her, hey, I, I, I love you, and I, and I, I want to fix whatever I broke, and I'm sorry, and I want you to come home, and all this stuff, right? And she's kind of reluctant to hear from me, but she does talk. And, then, and I keep sending her texts every single day and sending her messages, hey, I love you, and I'm sorry, let's work towards this thing. Um, and, uh, and she's reluctant to answer my calls most of the time. But then one day she calls me, and, 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 and it's kind of a hard conversation. She says, Austin, I need help. Uh, money's dwindled, and I need a place to stay, and I need some food. And so I immediately wire her money, everything she needs and more. And so she's got a place to stay and got food. And, uh, and she's thankful. And she says, hey, thank you. And she's excited. She calls me every day for a while, and it's exciting. And then it kind of fades away and fizzles out, and she's not as grateful anymore. And she's still over in the country. And I don't hear from her from a couple weeks. And I'm calling her, no answer. And so I'm getting scared. And I said, hey, and I, I, so I asked Mo, hey, Mo, dude, would you mind going over there and helping her out? Just make sure she's okay, make sure she's protected, make sure no harm comes to her. And so Mo says, yeah, man, you're my boy, let's go. And so he goes over and looks over Kristen, makes sure she's okay, and she is. Now, in all of those ways, I was with my wife, right? Like, in, in, in some way, I was with her, but how much better would it be for me to get in a plane and go fly and be with her? How much more? I mean, like phone calls and, and, and providing and sending protection are great, but how much more beautiful would it be for me to actually fly and look her in the eyes and tell you, I love you and I want to be with you and I'm sorry and let's make this work and, and hug her and take her out to eat and say, man, let's, let's, let's do this, you know? How much better would that be to be with her, to physically look at her and see her and tell her those truths rather than phone calls, providing and sending protection, being present with her? Friends, this is what it means for God to be with us, right? Like, prophets, provision, and protection are amazing, but what we really need, at the core of what we need, is an unhindered presence of God in our lives. And that's what we need, and Jesus did this for us in three primary ways, just to walk through this. The first way Jesus did this was was Jesus dwelt with us. Okay, so don't miss this. Please, please don't miss this. The God in Genesis 2 that created the world, okay, that spoke the world into existence, that hung the stars in the sky, that created the platypus and the hummingbird and the giraffe, the God that spoke the sun into existence, the God that breathed into dust and made it a human being, that God, that God, that God became a man. He put on flesh and bones. The creator came to dwell among his creation, the infinite, eternal, always existing, forever existing, put on flesh and bones to be with us. And check this out. He didn't come as a knight in shining armor. Right? He didn't come as a competent, strong 35-year-old. He didn't come from a wealthy family. He didn't come or be born in the most prestigious place or town or city. No. The way that God came to dwell with us was as a helpless poor baby boy, baby boy laying in, 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 a, in, a, in a, a manger, right? Like laying um, in, in, this, in this feeding trough, right? That's where he was. I mean, it's crazy. Have you ever heard anything more unthinkable than that? That God coming down the way he would is through a baby and, and being here, and that's the scenario? It's crazy. And it gets even better. He didn't just come to hang out with us. The second thing, the way Jesus did it, is that Jesus died for us, okay? So Jesus dwelt with us, and second, Jesus died for us. 
There's another misconception about Jesus that assumes that his primary reason for coming to us was to be a good example and a good teacher, right? And yes, Jesus was a great teacher and a great example, but Matthew 1.21 doesn't say that Jesus' primary goal was to teach us 10 ways on how to live a better life, right? No, like Jesus' primary goal, according to Matthew 1.21, is to save us from our sin, not as a teacher or an example, but as a savior, right? Like that's what we need. And, and, and Jesus came to us because we couldn't make our way to him, right? Just like Adam and Eve, our sin kicked us out of the garden and we couldn't make our way back on our own. And so God sent his son, Jesus, to do for us what we could never do, to do for us what we should have done, to die the death that we should have died, Jesus is our gracious substitute. And so by coming to dwell among us, Jesus went to die for us in order to restore us back to that perfect relationship we had in creation, right? That's why he came. Check this out. By faith in Jesus, this is huge. God no longer sees you as an ashamed creation hiding behind a bush. He sees you as an adopted child hiding behind his perfect son, right? Through faith in Jesus, God no longer sees you as an ashamed, as an ashamed creation hiding behind a bush. He sees you as his adopted child hiding behind his perfect son. This is what he did. This is what it means for Jesus to die for us. And the third way that Jesus accomplished this is that Jesus dwells in us. Okay, Jesus dwells in us. And so Jesus died. Three days later, he rose again, right? We're primarily celebrating his birth, but he was born to die. He did die for our sins, and he did raise again from that. And he walked around on earth for 40 days, right, doing all these sweet things. And then he ascended into heaven where he's waiting for us right now. And you might say, hold up, Austin, hold up, hold up. I thought the whole point of Jesus being with us is that he's actually with us. If he's in heaven now, how can God be with us? And here's where the good news gets even better. By Jesus' death and resurrection, he changes God with us to God in us, right? And so John 16, 7, Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. So when you place your faith in Jesus, you not only get salvation and eternal life, you get his Holy Spirit living inside of you, convicting you, compelling you, guiding you, strengthening you, reminding you that God is for you. And so for the rest of your life, Christians, God, Christian, God's presence is not only with you, it's in you, right? He is in you. And as I thought about, man, why does this matter? Like, why does God with us matter? If we're going to commit Christmas Eve to celebrate and tell this story, why does this matter? And I was confronted by my selfishness. And I think for most of us, if we're being honest, we're okay with God just telling us what to do and providing for us and protecting us. Like, we're, we're all okay with God just, with, 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 with just a phone call, with some morals, with some food on the table, and fire insurance. But friends, Jesus is offering something so much better. The real gift of God is his presence, right? Like being with us. The beauty of Christmas isn't that we get stuff from God, but that we get God. Like, we get him, and wherever you've been, whatever you've done, whether you're killing the game or you're drowning in chaos, the offer remains the same for all of us. That by God's grace and goodness, you and I, through faith in Jesus, can get God. Like, that's what we actually get. God with us, God with you, means that you're no longer alone, 
God with you means that you're no longer under the weight of your sin. God with you means you're no longer helpless and hopeless. And God with us means that broken Adams and messy Eves get invited back into the garden, back into perfect, unhindered, pure relationship with God through faith in his son, Jesus. Amen? Let's pray.